right, welcome in hockey fans in the desert southwest. It's another edition of Professional Hockey Southwest Weekly. We broadcast live by having a few technical issues. Hopefully we got everybody and everything figured out. I'm your host, Scott Strandy, live in Scottsdale, Arizona. My uh, co-host, Seth Askelson, should be joining me shortly. And a very special guest tonight from Las Vegas, if we've been able to keep him around, uh, Ken Bolke from Sinbin.Vegas is going to join us. Uh, Ken, if you're out there and hearing the podcast, what I need you to do is just hit one of the call-in buttons, and uh, we'd be happy to bring you on board with us. Uh, with us in the meantime, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what we do here at Professional Hockey Southwest Weekly. We talk hockey in the desert southwest, so we have uh, professional teams, obviously in Las Vegas with the Golden Knights, the Arizona Coyotes right here in Glendale, Arizona. And, of course, in the AHL, we've got the Tucson Roadrunners and soon to have a team up in Henderson, Nevada. So lots to talk about in addition to that. We also have uh, a new team coming into Palm Springs in another year, and uh, that will give us three AHL uh, teams within uh, shouting distance of us here in the desert southwest. So we're looking forward to that. We also have two other podcasts here at ITHSW Podcasts. We have uh, College Hockey Southwest Weekly, which airs at 6.30 p.m. Arizona time and covers NCAA hockey here in the desert southwest. We also have the Club Hockey Southwest Weekly, which airs at 7.30 Arizona time on Wednesday evening. So I want you to join us for all of those. In the meantime, we'll continue to see if we can get uh, everybody on board and on page with us tonight. I do apologize again for the, uh, the technical difficulties here. It sounds like sometimes we, we hear somebody, sometimes we don't. So um, we need everybody on board in order to be able to, uh, to do the show the way we want to do it. In the meantime, folks, you know we're amidst the, uh, the um, uh, pandemic going on around the world and uh, very frightening for a lot of people uh, because you just don't know the uh, the parameters of it, just how, how much it's going to affect us all. But right now, uh, we're kind of just in, in lockdown mode. The whole entire country here in the United States is, is locked down until roughly the end of April. So we've got a long time to go yet. I know up in Vegas, they've been uh, basically in lockdown for the last 15, 16 days. So um it's a different time, folks, and, uh, of course, sports and uh, things all come behind in the uh, the lineup of, of what you do in a time like this. We look for safety first, and that's the things that's going on. So uh, uh, I think I might have Ken with me. Ken, are you with me? In the meantime, as uh, as we work to work through those difficulties, let's hear uh, a couple of words from one of our sponsors. Uh, 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 one of the guys that's back and that will support us is uh, – Jesse Ray's Barbecue up in uh, Las Vegas. They reopened today, and so bad, so glad to have Jesse Ray's back with us. Hold on one second. Let's give a, uh, a quick word in for Jesse Ray's. I can't wait to get to Las Vegas and check out the fortress. Going to see the Golden Knights? No. Stopping at Jesse Ray's Barbecue for lunch. Oh, that fortress. That combination of brisket, hot links, fries, mac and cheese, surrounded by offensive ribs? I'm in. Exactly. Jesse Ray's Barbecue. Located at 5611 South Valley View Boulevard, right behind the Mandalay Bay Hotel. Check out their pulled pork, smoked chicken, or the fall off the bone baby back ribs. Jesse Ray's Barbecue has been voted the best barbecue in Las Vegas two years running. So whether it's a midday meal or a pregame feast, head to Jesse Ray's Barbecue for... All right. How are you doing, Seth Askelson? How are you tonight? I'm doing well, thank you. I apologize for the uh, delay there. I kind of got no. mixed up in my email and eventually found it uh, thanks to Terry. She uh, texted me and she uh, directed me through. So Terry, uh, per usual, always coming out to save the day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think I may have been the one that, that glitched it to start with, uh, Seth, but glad to have you on board. As I said, we do have Ken Bolke joining us tonight with, uh, with Sinbin. So it's going to be great to... Uh, to plug uh, a little bit of what's going on up in uh, in Vegas, and and uh, if you know anything about Ken, you know that he is a hockey aficionado, the guy that I I give a lot of credit to for the Vegas Golden Knights actually appearing on the scene because Ken did a lot of that uh, that work that needed to be done to uh, ensure season ticket holders before uh, Bill Foley decided to make the jump and 
and uh, put his money uh, where his mouth is, basically. So it's going to be fun to talk to Ken if we get him connected here. I know he's trying to get on board with us. So as soon as we have Ken, we'll uh, we'll jump on. But in the meantime, Seth, how have you been? I'm good. Uh, I think we're going on um, a <laughs> long, long time without hockey. And it's weird because – I wouldn't say weird, but I think it's um, unfortunate, I think was the word I was looking for, is – uh, Governor Doug Ducey here in Arizona put out a 30-day uh, stay-at-home executive order. Um, I don't think, in terms of what people have been doing in Arizona, that doesn't change too much. I think a lot of people were working from home unless they were that, uh, you know, quote-unquote essential business. Um, so I think it, it doesn't change anything other than really makes it official. But I think when it comes to the hockey side of things, what that does, uh, there's no Coyotes hockey in the Valley until May 1st at the earliest. And um, I think you're seeing, you know, sure these leagues want to get going again, but there's a lot of a lot of states with teams that are in playoff positions that are saying, hey, we're not going to do anything until you know uh, the next 30 days are up. So this, you know, with some of these states coming down with what um, their stay-at-home orders are and and things like that, this is really starting to put the NHL season in jeopardy. And again, uh, the health of Everybody uh, around the world is the most important thing, but um, I think it's the, the writing starting to get uh, even clearer on the wall for those who are trying to pretend it wasn't there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the strange thing about it, there's no games going on, but you hear all kinds of things going on. Of course, the college season ended, which meant that a number of players that had been drafted or were, were free agents are having the opportunity to sign deals with NHL teams even though there's no NHL action or AHL action going on, it's it's weird. And today here in the, the desert Southwest, we had two professional hockey things happen. Uh, first of all, Eddie Lack, who uh, former NHL AHL goaltender uh, from Sweden, who's been working the past year in his rehab to get back to playing, finally decided that he's just not going to play again. His uh, professional career came to an end today with the announcement of his retirement. And he's been working with the Arizona State Sun Devils as a volunteer goaltending coach. So it's going to be interesting to see if Eddie comes on there full-time as a coach or a recruiter or whatever he does. But he's a huge asset. And then secondly, Seth, uh, Brinson Pashnak late this afternoon announced his intentions to uh, to uh, sign a professional entry-level contract with the uh, San Jose Sharks. So just on those two fronts, there's still a lot to talk about and I know Ken's got a lot of stuff up in uh, in Vegas to talk about. So, tell me what uh, what your thoughts are when I talk about those two topics. I think the Eddie Lack one um, speaks to I think partly how much he enjoys being at ASU. I think if maybe it wasn't an ideal situation for him, or it was one of those things where it truly was a hey, I'm just trying to find something to do, maybe get a little extra ice time with some younger guys um, just to get back into playing shape. Sure, I mean, obviously I think every hockey player wants to get back out there, but um, it seemed like there just wasn't uh, – almost there wasn't a deal maybe better than what he's getting right now at ASU. And a guy who's had an, an accomplished career, I mean, to say you were a, you know at one point a full-time starter in the National Hockey League – as a goaltender, no matter what team you played for, it is impressive. So um, it's good to keep him around, right? I think it's kind of one of those things where you take a look at ASU football, what they're doing. They have a lot of former NFL players, Super Bowl champions, um, guys like Marvin Lewis on their staff, Antonio Pierce, who had these NFL connections. I don't know if you saw on Twitter earlier. Um, I think it was yesterday, uh, Chad Johnson um, – Ocho Cinco Sr. had tweeted out, um, you know, saying he stayed in touch with Marvin Lewis and, and how great that connection is. And um, Chad Johnson's son, Chad Johnson Jr., coming to ASU as a receiver next year. So, um, you know, having those connections with, you know, these former NFL players and, and these top athletes can help recruiting. And, th and that can be the other way around, right? I mean, Eddie Lack, um, a, a guy that has played in the NHL a long time, um, obviously having guys um, – you know, some former NHL players who had their sons, you know, spend some time at ASU in the past helps. But having a guy there, you know, who's a coach who's been in the NHL as, as recent as a couple of years ago, you know, it's not like some of those kids, you know, 
Um, even though you hear the the great things about Mario Lemieux and all that, it, it's almost a little too far. You know, I I mean, I barely remember watching Mario Lemieux play, um, but I know that's a big name. So having yeah, and a guy you're, and you're old, it's had a name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. I'm I'm going to be 24 this year, so you know that was six years ago, and I mean, it's crazy to think, right? Like some of these, you know, incoming freshmen this upcoming year. Uh, born in 2002 when, you know, a guy like Mario Lemieux who was playing in one of his final few seasons. So um, it's good to have a guy in there who's played recently. He played uh, for the Devils um, a couple years ago. That's the last time he played in the National Hockey League. Um, but, yeah, a, a guy who also has some um, European connections as well. He's from Sweden. So if uh, ASU ever wants to, you know, uh, fully jump over into some sort of European recruiting. I mean, we saw it with uh, some of the Latvian guys um, like uh, Gavita Janssens and, and players of that nature, but uh, just another pipeline again into um, a country that really over the last 20 years uh, has turned into a hockey powerhouse in Sweden. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I totally agree with that. What Don't you're to look at his emails. What you're saying, and uh, we're talking about uh, – you know, all the different things that, that are happening. So, you know, when you think um, just what Eddie Lack brings in experience, like you mentioned, he's a, he's a big part of uh, Sun Devil hockey, and I think he'll continue to be a big part. At least we all hope so. Um, as far as uh, Brinson Passionate goes, uh, it's pretty cool to be able to say that you have uh, another free agent signing uh, from a program like ASU, and and I'm sure that uh, you know we had uh, we had the uh, the Joey Decord part of it, so that was pretty cool. And I think we might have Ken Ken on board with us. Ken, are you with us? Yeah, how are you guys doing? Oh, we're doing great. Thanks for hanging in there as we uh, went through all the, the hassle. Ken Bolke with Sinbin Vegas, Scott Strandy here with Seth Askelson, my uh, my co-host. First of all. Um, Let's jump right into this, Ken. How are things in Las Vegas, Nevada right now? Well, they're seemingly like pretty much everywhere else. Nobody's really doing much of anything. Except you are, because I see Paws Game going on. So let's start right there. Tell me a little bit about Paws Game, how you got it started, and and uh, how much fun you're having with that. Well, we figured we should probably be doing something when there's no game, so I tried to come up with uh, some sort of trivia game, and I don't really like trivia games that are just straight-out trivia, because then you get the same nerd that studies all the trivia all the time that wins every time, so I tried to come up with something a little bit different. It's kind of like a family feud-esque type thing where we put out a survey and then we ask questions. I was actually writing one as we as we were waiting here, uh, which was which of the following leagues did the most people say they've watched a full game? AHL, ECHL, <laughs> KHL. I went down the whole thing. You guys would be under NCAA hockey. So the idea is basically just to give questions that nobody could possibly know the answer to. We give away a prize every single game, and we try to uh, promote a local business along the way to kind of you know pump up some businesses that are still around and still trying to to fight through this. You know, when I was trying to get everything uh, done technically-wise, I think I introduced you about 15 times, but <laughs> one, of, one of the things that I told the audience was that you, know, you and I met, uh, I don't know, four or five years ago now before Vegas hockey was Vegas hockey, Yeah. and I remember sitting down with you and asking you how realistic this was, and you said, well, I'm not sure, but we're going to get as many people behind this as we can, and like, go back to that moment, Ken, when you started the uh, the season ticket drive and and all of that, did you think it was going to materialize to what it has this quickly? Um, I think when I first heard about it, I thought, well, that seems a little unrealistic because obviously hockey and Vegas, and it didn't really make a lot of sense. But the more I thought about it, the more I kind of, it, it went towards, you know, they started doing the ticket drive. And then once I heard Bettman kind of say that they were legitimately considering it, I knew the second that Vegas got a team that it was going to be successful no matter what sport it was. If it was basketball or football or soccer or volleyball or whatever it was, it wasn't really going to make a huge difference. So the fact that it ends up being hockey, I think it ends up being a really good thing because it's a sport that I don't think as many people had a previous fandom to and it allowed people to easier just jump right onto the Golden Knights and, and become diehard Golden Knights fans basically overnight. So 
to, to answer the question, I, I thought it was a little bit far-fetched right at the beginning, but as the uh, season ticket drive went on and as I heard more and more out of the commissioner and the vice commissioner there, uh, I started to really believe that it was going to work. Seth, you got anything you want to get off your chest to, uh, to Ken? Yeah, Ken, uh, appreciate you <laughs> jumping on the show. And, um, yeah, you got it. I... Uh, Live, you know, born in Arizona, born 15 minutes away from what is now Gila River Arena and, and grew up in the area and kind of saw how this game has grown since, um, you know, really in the past 20 years for the Coyotes. And obviously going to a, a Stanley Cup final helps. But with Vegas, yeah. I mean, has the growth been more than anybody's expected? And, and why are people latching on? Is it a case of, you know, it's really Vegas's first professional team, or, or what is the aspect around that? Yeah, I think it was a little bit of a perfect storm there. You kind of have it's Vegas's first team. It's it's the first professional sports league to really ever come here. It was the uh, then then they win. Obviously, that helped, and then of course October first happening right before the first game that kind of banded everybody together, and they needed somewhere to go to kind of honor all the uh, people that that had passed uh, through it October first. So I think it was kind of a perfect storm and. Uh, and then the, the key is winning. Like any city that has a professional sports team, if they win, people are going to love that team. And this team took absolutely no time to win. They won th three games in a row to start. They won seven of their first eight. And then they went on to be the most successful franchise and expansion franchise ever, went to the cup final, the rest is history. So I think that's the main reason is like, it's a winner. That makes a huge difference. And I mean, obviously I don't, I don't mean to be mean, but the, the Arizona hasn't ever had a winner for a while. So it's going to be hard to have the growth that you've seen in Vegas there when, when you don't have a winner. Ken, when you, when you talk at the very top of the uh, Golden Knights franchise, you talk about Bill Foley. And I know you've had a chance to sit down with him a few times, but uh, Bill Foley is a guy that, that knows how to win, wants to win, and doesn't really take second place too well, does he? <laughs> no, he does not. He is... Uh... He's a he's a rare bird. Like I, I I've always thought he kind of fits on the TV show Shark Tank. Like he would be great <laughs> on that show. And but he's even more ruthless than some of those guys and gals that are on that show. So he's a he's a one of a kind guy. And I, I don't think people fully understand who exactly he is. Like Mark Cuban's a lot more uh, well known than than Bill Foley, but Bill Foley is right there with Mark Cuban as as far as like business acumen goes. Seth, you got anything more for uh, for Ken? Yeah, so uh, kind of back to your point about um, yeah, Arizona hasn't had a winner, and and this is a city that you know the second the losing starts, people go away. I mean, the Cardinals were uh, in the NFC Championship game just you know, four years ago. And uh, now you can get tickets for 20 bucks on a resale market for Vegas. If slash win and, and not even in terms of like a, Oh, a complete tank, but you know, maybe they find themselves in the spot where, you know, they're struggling for a wild card or maybe fall out uh, of the playoffs two to four points or, you know, miss by like two or four points. I mean, do you see any sort of maybe apathy coming that way? What do you think of fan the fan base's reaction is going to be, you know, if, when things maybe slow down a little bit for the yeah. organization. I think it's going to take a pretty lean year to really start, you know, causing it to go downhill. And then it'll take the follow-up year being poor and then the following year being poor. I don't think it's going to happen overnight. Like I think a lot of people kind of expect uh, with the way that Vegas is made and, and kind of you've seen other teams in Vegas, whether it's different leagues or NCAA or whatever, doesn't really have the best following. But I think that it's going to take a bad year that they were supposed to be good and then a bad year where they were supposed to be bad. And that's where you're going to start seeing people cancel and stop going. And it's going to get overrun with away fans. The good news for the, for the franchise, though, is the building's going to be full pretty much all the time because people are going to come to Vegas. As long as we come out of this virus thing it, it, like we hope we should, and it goes back to somewhat something resembling normal, I, I'm, I'm not concerned about butts in the seats in the building. How many of cheer for the right team? That, that's going to be a concern when they're not good. Ken, when you talk about the success of the Golden Knights and now the uh, the announcement that Henderson's going to get in the AHL franchise and 
we all know just how important that is to have those players, you know, within a 30-mile radius of each other. But but also that that ticket drive for them, but they have like, what, 5,300 or so uh, already deposits for that 6,000-seat uh, building? Yeah, it was, it was a pretty large number. I mean, it was a fairly cheap deposit. I think it was a $50 deposit, and it was fully refundable. So it wasn't exactly like going out on a limb to throw your money at that thing. And also those deposits were for the games at Orleans Arena, which is significantly larger than the one they're building in Henderson. So they can fit a lot more in there than, they, than they're going to be able to in Henderson. But I mean, the question is going to be now just with the times, like that was all prior to coronavirus. Like what's it going to look like coming out of this where it went from, oh, there's never been a better time to launch an, NH or an AHL team in, a, in an NHL city to there might ha actually never have been a worse time than to do it than what the, what the Golden Knights and Silver Knights or whatever the heck they're going to call them uh, are going to go through here in the next couple of months. You know, and one thing that's that's been consistent is the building continues. Before this all came to a head, I was up and stopped over at that practice facility in Henderson, and construction just keeps on going. And yeah. and I'm guessing that's what's going to happen with the new 6,000-seat uh, facility, too. I mean, that's probably not going to slow down or stop, correct? Uh, it shouldn't. I mean, it has to start. That's, that's part of it. And I don't know how much that's going to get, and this is all going to get in the way of that. Uh, they they kind of picked their location and then they were going through the process of getting the public money for it and it hit the snag as it should. Anytime there's public money involved, there should be a little bit more say than just this is happening. Uh, so that has not actually been all completed. It's not official at this time that they're actually putting that arena in that place so that they had said it was going to be at the, at the Henderson Pavilion. But I think when push comes to shove, they're going to end up having it, getting it done there. It's just how quickly does this happen and then how much of this pause is going to kind of get in the way of that. It wouldn't shock me if they actually have to play one more year at Orleans arena, which again, is not going to be the worst thing in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Seth covers the coyotes for us on, on a pretty much a regular basis. And I know you're, uh, you're in the, the back pocket of the golden Knights all the time, but um, just talk a little bit about the way the season came to a halt and just how good the Golden Knights were playing at that point. And then, Seth, I'll let you make your point on the Coyotes. Uh, the Golden Knights were playing great. I mean, they they, they won back-to-back -back on uh, games in Alberta, which is always difficult to beat both Calgary and Edmonton back-to-back. -back. They did one of them in overtime and get the game winner. I think that was actually their last game. Uh, they were looking good. They, they, they had the new coach came in. They were playing uh, good hockey, and then all of a sudden it, it gets halted. The, they were, however, they were dealing with uh, some pretty serious injury situations. Mark Stone appeared to be out for basically the rest of the regular season. Pacioretty was probably going to be out into the second round. Uh, Tuck, we, we weren't sure what was going to happen with when he was going to get back. And now, uh, if they ever do resume this, everybody seems like they're going to be healthy. The problem is, if they don't resume it, uh, the Golden Knights made a couple of trades to get better, and they're going to have to just basically be waste now. Seth, tell us a little bit about the uh, the Arizona Coyotes and where you thought they were at when the halt came. Well, almost the exact opposite as the Knights. It, it couldn't have come at a better time. I mean, it was a team that I think was having a hard time dealing with where they were at in the standings. A team, again, in the Pacific before Vegas and then also ultimately Edmonton um, turned it on towards the end. I think it was a team that had spent a lot of time in the top three, a lot of time than I think a lot more people expected, especially in first place. Um, and a team that was slowly but surely falling down. It was a team that was almost in a free fall and there was nothing, there was no ledge to grab onto on the way down. And um, they were, you know, uh, almost like the, the Wiley Coyote cartoon. They were trying to scramble back to the edge before it was too late. And um, it, it was almost too late. I, they had a game, um, when it officially got shut down um, that that Thursday morning um, after the NBA shut their operations down on a Wednesday night, uh, they were going to be playing the Vancouver Canucks in what we talk about, and I think what a lot of, you know, kind of a common phrase, a four-point game, and that was really going to be their season. So um, I, don't, I don't see the season ever resuming, and I don't know if you'll get a Stanley Cup champion this year, but um, if for, you know, uh, some reason we do start the season again, it, it gives the Coyotes a couple months to, to breathe and say, okay, 
this is where we went wrong and, and this is where we can fix it. I mean, again, there's for some teams less than, um, you know, not a handful of games left. So, um, again, I don't know if they'll start back up, but uh, it was almost the perfect timing for the Coyotes, especially if it was just going to be a two-week hiatus, which clearly it's not going to be that case anymore. Ken, I could keep you on all night long, but I have a couple of points that I want you to touch on, if you would. The first one I want you to touch on is just the strength of goaltending for the Golden Knights and, and your thoughts when they made that trade uh, for Robin Leonard. I was pretty surprised when they made it, to be honest. I, I am not exactly a Malcolm Subban guy that says, <laughs> like, oh, he's a superstar or any of that thing. But just kind of the commitment and the time that they had put into him, I thought they put enough – uh, capital into him as regards to like they've he's been the guy like he was the backup for three years they when they signed him off of waivers they basically said like this is the guy we're gonna deal with this guy being the next guy behind flurry that was the plan all the way and then all of a sudden just out of nowhere they just nope he's not the guy anymore and he's not only is he not the backup but he's gone he's off the, off the roster completely to to the Blackhawks so it, it kind of surprised me that being said obviously where the Golden Knights were heading into the playoffs. Nobody had a better goalie combo, and they were going to have to figure out how to balance that going into the playoffs and which guy was going to start and how quick the leash is and all that. I think it was going to be a bit of a juggling act there for DeBoer, but uh, the problem is that, that Leonard came without a contract, so he played three games, and there's a realistic chance that he ends up uh, his Golden Knights career playing the same number of games as Vadim Shipashev, and I don't think many people would have guessed that. <laughs> That's and that that's a sad thing to even say. So let's get off that topic. Let, let's get back to the topic of you, you said you know he was there one day and gone the next, and that's kind of the way it was with Gerard Gallant and and Pete DeBoer, correct? Yeah. Oh yeah. That one. Uh, I don't think many people saw that one coming at all because like no. the, the thing with the Golden Knights is they weren't exactly like floundering. They just weren't. They weren't ever at the level I think most people expected him to get to even though at times you would see that for a week here or a week there or whatever, and they were never really in trouble of missing the playoffs, and then all of a sudden they, they make this move, and I think what made it so alarming was who they hired. Like, if they had just fired, <laughs> fired Gallant and then gone with, say, the assistant coach or they had brought up the AHL guy, Rocky Thompson, or they'd gone that route, nobody would have really batted much of an eye. It would have been like, oh, that's a little weird that they got rid of Gallant, but whatever. It was the fact that they brought in DeBoer, like the guy that was the exact opposite of what the Golden Knights were supposed to be. And now he's the coach and well, so far so good. You know, and the timing of that, Ken, was that planned that way? Do you think, or has anybody ever told you that uh, the way that happened because they were on the road and basically didn't have to play in their own building again for yeah. a month. Uh, is is that something not. you think they planned? They claim it was not. They, they, they right. say that it was, uh, 100% based on just the way that the season had been going and the timing is just coincidental. I think that's a bunch of crock. Uh, I think that's ridiculous. I think they absolutely circled that eight-game road trip. They had a four-game trip, and then they had the uh, bye in the All-Star game, and then they had a four-game trip off the back of that. So it's effectively an eight-game homestand or a road trip. They were away from home for 28 consecutive days, and they fired Gallant into day three of that uh, I think they had that figured out the entire way. And the more I look into what happened, how it happened, the way the offseason went down, I'm I'm fairly confident that, that Gerard Gallant had no chance this season, no matter what. I think they've been looking for a way to get rid of him, and they finally had an opportunity to do it, and they went ahead and did it. Okay, so final question for you on this one is, Jack Dugan, probably going to win the Hobie Baker here very soon. He's uh, a Coyote, or a, I'm sorry, Golden Knight prospect. How realistic that he uh, he signs and, and how realistic is that he gets a shot? I think it's fairly realistic he signs, but I think it's very low probability that he gets a chance this season if they were to resume. I, I think he's looking at the 2021 season. Uh, two reasons. First of all, I don't think that they would blow an entire year of uh, entry-level contract to get him back and try to chuck him into whatever the heck ends up coming of this rest of this season. Uh, secondly, they they just do not like to throw prospects in there. They they use the frame phrase overcook them all the time, and I, I think they're going to continue to do that. I think he signs this offseason. I think he plays an entire season in the AHL next year uh, with Henderson or, again, whatever they're calling that team. The, the, the AHL team at Orleans Arena. 
I think he'll play a full season there, and maybe he ends up on the Golden Knights in the back end of next season, but I think it's more likely he's probably a 2021-22 guy. You know, when you saw him play with uh, with the Providence at uh, T-Mobile this yeah. uh, holiday season, what, what were your thoughts? Is he a guy that's going to fit, in your estimation, with the, the Golden Knights style? To be honest, I was a little underwhelmed. Like I, yeah, me Hobie too. Baker. That's, what, yeah, that's why like I asked. No bra- yeah, it was like a no-brainer <laughs> Hobie Baker guy. And you're like, okay, well, this is clearly the best player in all of college hockey. This is a four-team tournament, and one of the teams isn't even good. Like, he's got to be dominant in this thing, and he really wasn't. Like, I... I don't know. I mean, the, the the style of play he plays is exactly like what the Golden Knights want. He's a he's an aggressive forechecker. He's got a great stick. He's a big body kid. He can move. He plays a 200-foot game. Uh, he's going to be a pain in the butt to play against. And I think that's what the Golden Knights want. But you would think that a guy that's that good should be dominating that tournament. It just didn't happen. And then, and then you look up, and he's got three points in two games. And you're like, oh, well, there you go. So I, I don't know. I don't I, I'd like to see him with better competition because I think sometimes NCAA hockey stunts guys. And I don't think that, I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean like the, the points don't exactly correlate. Like you don't see guys going into NCAA and putting up 90 points in 40 games. It just doesn't happen. And so I wonder playing in an AHL environment or an NHL environment, or even had he gone to Canadian juniors, what it would look like there. I, I think he'd be a better player, but I mean, he's the best player in college hockey, so uh, you can't really ask for much more for what he did. All right, final shot for you before I let you go is uh, tell me a little bit about the uh, the transition um, from George McPhee right now to Kelly McCrimmon. How has that played out, and has it played out kind of the way you and everybody in Vegas thought it would, or has that settled in now as as a new GM? Uh, I think it's heavily overblown. I, I don't. I don't think anything happened. To be completely honest, I think. I think two things happened. They, they gave him more money and they gave him a new title. Like I don't think he calls the shots. I don't think he's in charge. I don't think there's anything new other than the fact that he has to talk to the media now. And to be honest, he's probably better talking to the media than McPhee is. So I'm not all that upset about that. But it's. It, nothing has changed. And, and there's actually a quote recently, George McPhee was on the Golden Knights podcast and he said he brought the idea to make McCrimmon the general manager to Foley and Foley's direct quote was, as long as you're still the boss. So that <laughs> tells you pretty much all you need to know. Like he, McPhee's still calling the shots. McPhee's still the guy. Nothing has changed there. And as much as you want to call McCrimmon the, the GM, I wouldn't call him a figurehead because he's involved. But he's not—he's not your standard GM like anybody else. He's got a guy above him. Yeah, I hear you. Well, you know what? It's time to get back to hockey eventually. But in the meantime, stay nice. safe up there in Vegas. And uh, I know it's tough for all you guys with the uh, casinos all shut down, and the livelihood of the entire city is probably at about as, as low as it can get. But how how are things personally for everybody up there? Ah, oh, we we're we're plugging along and still doing what we do so obviously it's easier when there's hockey but this isn't new for us we started 15 months before the team ever played a game so we're not we're not uh it's not coming out of the blue for us to have to come up with articles to write when there's no game so we'll figure it out we'll we'll hang in there i hear you we're right there with you fantastic job that you guys do up there with sinbin and and uh thanks for coming on tonight thanks for sticking with us through the technical difficulties and we'll see you soon in vegas you got it anytime thanks for having me all right, let's take a quick break. Let's come right back, and Seth and I will uh, will hammer out some more professional hockey here in the desert southwest. So give us one second. We'll be right back with you. Behind the Mask Hockey Shop, celebrating 25 years of exceptional service to the Arizona hockey community, offering the top brands and an educated staff of hockey players to help you choose the right gear for you. Visit any one of our three Valley locations or check us out online at BehindTheMask.com. Hey, Michael here from M-Drive. One of my favorite memories is mountain biking with my dad. Barreling through the woods at full speed, bike tires bouncing off rocks. That was 25 years ago. What's crazy is today at 60 Dad still does that. You know, he really made M-Drive for himself. 
He wanted an everyday supplement that would fuel his drive. Yes, M-Drive supports healthy testosterone, but it's so much more. He built M-Drive to support the body, building strength and energy from the inside out. We take M-Drive every day to fuel our drive with more energy and more strength. I think it's amazing what Dad built and amazing what he can still do today. In a lot of ways, he's still the guy from 25 years ago, and he's not slowing down. Listen, we'd love for you to try M-Drive too. It's available at Walgreens, Walmart, GNC, Vitamin Shop, or visit mdriveformen.com and we'll give you 20% off your first purchase. Just use the code DRIVE at checkout. Don't let your age beat you. You find your prime with M-Drive. All right, we're back. And uh, Seth Askelson is still with me. How are you again? I'm good. That was a, a good interview there with Ken. I think a good um, kind of look into what Vegas is dealing with. Obviously, you and I know firsthand what we're dealing with uh, without the no hockey and then the withdrawals over here. But um, I, I, w- I really thought it was interesting. Um, I'm glad you're allowing me to ask a question about kind of what he sees um, Vegas being in terms, you know, in say five or six years. Um, it's really hard to be good consistently in a salary cap era. I mean, the only team to really do it was, um, you know, the Detroit Red Wings. So, um, and even then, you know, they, the salary cap didn't get instituted in, in, until halfway through their run, um, their playoff run. So interesting to think, you know, to get his thoughts on what will happen if uh, or when Vegas ever, you know, maybe maybe isn't hitting the president's or threatening for the president's trophy every year. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. I'm glad you asked it because uh, if there's anybody to ask and anybody that has a pulse on that, it would be Ken Bolke because he's been around since before they were a, a franchise for sure. And he doesn't give himself a lot of credit on, on what he did, but he was a big part in generating interest uh, for the NHL coming to Vegas. And uh, a lot of people were involved in that. But, uh, you know, everybody said when Vegas got their franchise that, oh, well, the casinos will hold all the tickets. They'll, they'll distribute them out to people and the, the local fans won't get a shot at it. And that really wasn't the case. I mean, it became a local uh, spot to be, if you will. You wanted to be seen at, and a lot of it was the entertainment that, that they provide at T-Mobile. I know you've seen what they do there. And a lot of teams are trying to replicate it and, uh, and do that. And that's good for the sport. Uh, I think this pause has really maybe dampened all of that a little bit. And I think everybody's going to have a lot of work to do to, to bring the excitement back. People are obviously going to want to watch the hockey, but, bring all that excitement back after such a you know and not we're still in it right i mean this this coronavirus thing is not anywhere close to being done the way it looks yeah i think i said it i think i said it on this show i think i said it last week i said it to a lot of people you know in discussions about sports i mean i think sports are done until football starts back up um you know, in late July, early August, in terms of training camp and preseason. I mean, you see the NFL has, you know, moved its draft. I mean, that's another big thing for Vegas. They were going to get the NFL draft, and um, that was going to be a huge deal for them. That's no longer the case. Um, I think there was talk from the last time I saw that they're going to do it still in Vegas, or even in the conference room, but I think with all the travel restrictions and, uh, you know, CDC and World Health Organization guidelines, I have a feeling it's going to be one of those things where, you know, the teams stay in their respective cities and make the draft from there. Uh, they've canceled a lot of their rookie mini camps, a lot of their OTAs. Um, so I, I think sports is almost done until um, uh, until you see football. And it's tough, especially for a sport like baseball, right? I mean, baseball, who struggled to get some of the younger generation to begin with, is now going to lose a season. Um, and... So that, that's where I think hockey is going to have to jump in. Now we saw when the lockout happened, the owner's lockout in uh, 2004-2005, a lot of people were really upset with the owners and, and really upset with the league that nothing could be handed out in the entire season. And, and, and I think they lost a lot of the, the casual fans you know, in that time in the NBA, especially a lot of those teams that have the NHL in the NBA. The NBA had a, a full year of, you know, uh, of entertainment unopposed when it comes to the winter. So, um, I think for hockey, this is tough. Obviously, this is a little bit of a different situation. This is in a, 
you know, an owner's lockout and, oh, you know, the fans are upset that it happened, but it could hurt, right? Like the, the ratings for the NHL have been going up pretty much every year. Um, the playoffs are always a big time, so it'll be interesting to see how it recovers in terms of ratings and, and social media interaction and, and things of that nature, not only in, in Arizona, not only in yeah, I hear you. It's uh, you know, it, it's going to be a struggle for all sports. Obviously, we're we're focused a lot on the hockey side of it, but you know, it, it's really tough to turn on TV and not see anything. And, and and you hear some of the signings, like I was telling you earlier, with the signings like a Brinson Pashnuk or all these guys that that weren't able to finish out their senior seasons and trying to latch on with teams now as either a free agent or a draft pick that wants to get an entry-level contract. As you heard Ken say with uh, Jack Dugan, who's potentially going to be the Hobie Baker award winner this year when it's announced, and he doesn't have, <laughs> you know, he, he's looking at probably not even using this year a, as his entry-level contract because they'll probably wait till you know, start him in the 2021 season. So it, it's just a strange scenario, and I don't know for sure how everybody rebounds on this. I know, like I said, we're going to try and uh, just pick up things whenever. But, uh, yeah, I agree with you. The longer it goes, the harder it seems to uh, to be a realistic thing. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of that comes into – you can't just say, okay, everybody's allowed back in the building to get on the ice and play. For a lot of teams, you know, I play, play off intensity hockey right away. There has to be some sort of training camp where they reach the two Yeah, you know, and, and I had a chance to visit with Tom Callahan uh, last Wednesday on our club hockey show, and, and Tom thinks that the only way they could – well, he thinks two things. He thinks that there's a drop-dead date, if you will, that the NHL has where they said we obviously cannot start the season past this point, whether it be a, a date like July. He threw out a date. He said this is just his guess, but maybe the date is July 15th, for example, where they can't start restart the season after that point. Um, he also said that if they were going to restart it, his thought would be is that they have the training camp and then use winning percentage as a way to determine the 16 teams in the in the playoffs and then have a training camp and then go into the first round of the playoffs based off of winning percentage. So you might not have to finish the rest of the games because some have played more and some have played less than others. But you look at the uh, the winning percentage as they stand right now, and that's how you seed them uh, in the tournament. Is that something that you think you'd be a fan of if that were to come to fruition? I mean, me personally, yes, I would be a fan of it. If I was, oh, I don't know, John Tyka, um, if I was, you know, a, a guy in sports organization, if I was, you know, behind the bench in Chicago, why would we go off winning percentage, right? Oh, we're only four points out. You know, these 
teams make runs. You know, that would be my argument from an organization who's sitting just on the outside. Well, why are you not going to give everybody a fair chance? I think you have to play in a fair amount of games. I don't think you can just leave the season where it's at. Some teams have played more than others. Some teams have played less than others. I think you have to get to some sort of concrete number, whether that's 76, whether that's 74. Maybe you only come back and say, okay, everybody plays, you know, whatever the next four games on your schedule where you play those, and then we're going to jump into the playoffs. Um, I mean, yeah, it's good to put the pressure on, yeah. But you can't – I would be a fan of it, but you would have a lot of owners and, and a lot of players uh-huh. upset that you, yeah. know, you don't – you know, if everybody was at 70 games played, sure, I think you have a little bit of a better argument for it. But, you know, in terms of a long-term thing, that's – Again, the CBA is, I think, coming up pretty soon. I know they agreed to spend one more year, but I think that we're... That they're going to have to look over it again. I, I'll double-check on that. But, you know, this isn't a thing where you can just say, hey, hey you know, we'll just start the playoffs right now because that could come into the labor talks. You know, I, when it comes to, to business people and, and owners and people that represent the players' union, not that it's necessarily a bad thing, but those guys don't have short memories. They remember. So yeah. um, it's one of those Boy, things that... where, yeah, you want to come back and you want to play and it's what's best for the game and what's best for the fans short term. But what what's the, the reality and what's best for the game and the players long term? Exactly. And and the other topic I want to touch on before we end up uh, wrapping things up tonight, Seth, is it, would you be a fan of seeing the teams come back and play in front of a TV audience but with no live audience? Is that something that you could get into or would it just be too weird and, and too unemotional, if you will, to, uh, to really watch? I think a lot of people would um, – I think a lot of people would like it. I don't know if the players would like it, right? Like that's the point of playoff hockey is to feed off the energy, to feed off the crowd. And, you know, if you're a road team, you go in and you try to quiet the crowd with a big goal early or, you know, tie the game late and the, the crowd is out of it for overtime. Like that's the thing is, you know, you know, you get into those situations and yeah, I mean, the Stanley cup is the Stanley cup, but you know, say, I don't know, we'll say for the sake of this show, Vegas wins the Stanley cup, Right. The first ever Stanley Cup in Vegas, like all the turmoil, they fi- you know, fired the coach and made all these changes and made a huge deadline move, and they finally got over the hump, and they're raising the Stanley Cup in an empty T-Mobile arena. Like, yeah, that what's that going to look like in 20 years, right? Like, Yeah, what would it look like next year? It just, it just wouldn't be right, I don't think so. A lot of things are yet to be determined, but first and foremost, we want to see everybody stay healthy. Stay inside. Do what you can to uh, to uh, lessen the curve, flatten the curve, as they like to say. But you know, we didn't know what was happening a month ago. Um, I don't know that we know a whole bunch more right now, except we know that people are getting sick and and people are dying, and and we just need to uh, try to get our our whole country around this thing and and get it under control. So. That's what we'll work on and uh, and doing our part as far as staying inside and and uh, doing what we can to uh, keep our hands clean and keep our social distancing and all those good things. And you and I will sit back down again next week, Seth, and we'll we'll have a chat with hopefully another great guest uh, that we can talk a little professional hockey with. So thanks a lot for uh, for jumping in again tonight. I always appreciate your insight and everything you have. Thanks again to uh, Ken Mulkey from Sinbin.Vegas, all of his insight and. We'll hear a couple more things from our sponsors, and then Seth and I will see you next week. Hi, everybody. This is Jay from OxyPal. You probably know our products for being used on your gear to eliminate the odor and bacteria from your sports gear and and your gym and all that stuff. Um, In in light of current events, uh, we have uh, switched up and added a new product to our production line. It's called our Have a Nice Day Hand Sanitizer. Um, it is exclusively for use on your skin, whereas our other uh, products have been exclusively for use on your fabrics and, and, and gear. Uh, this product is available here at my shop. It's available on my website at www.oxypow.com. And you can pick it up or we can ship it to you anywhere in the United States. At the heart.
heart of any good cocktail is the quality of the spirit used. And if you want to make the best margaritas, or if you just want a straight shot of the best tasting tequila, then Roger Klein's Cancion Tequila is the brand for you. Award-winning Roger Klein's Cancion Tequila has the taste you want to make perfectly blended cocktails, whether you're celebrating an overtime game winner with friends or relaxing by the pool after a long work day. Find your bottle, be it in Arizona or elsewhere in the U.S. Visit us at MexicanMoonshine.com. Roger Klein's Cancion Tequila, award-winning taste since 2011. All right. Seth, have a great week. Stay safe, and uh, we'll chat again next week on Professional Hockey Southwest Weekly. Yeah, thanks, Scott. So one real thing before I jump off, I wanted to clarify what we were talking about a little bit earlier. The NHL in September of 2019, so right before the season kicked up, they did agree to um, a CBA extension that is effective um, in effect until September 2022, so at least – Two more years of hockey uh, before maybe a potential lockout. Boy, that that's a cliffhanger. We'll have to talk about that one next week for sure, but thanks for bringing that up. Be safe out there, everybody. Seth and I will join you next Monday night, six thirty or sorry, 7.30 Arizona time for another edition of Professional Hockey Southwest Weekly. Have a great night. Thanks to our friends Roger Klein and the Peacemakers for providing some music for us. We're going to end this one on – Hello, New Day, and let's hope that that New Day set is, uh, is very, very soon because we need something. We need our sports back. We sure do. Thanks for having me, Scott. <laughs>